Love to the two Johnnies for keeping us entertained on this festive afternoon. It is Tuesday, December 20th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and seven bells, Paul Corey is live in studio to chat all things association football. Sticking with that trend, Kerry FC manager Billy Dennehy will be joining us live as he plans for the Kingdom side maiden season in the League of Ireland. We'll hear from Orti Young Sports Person of the Year, Rashida Adeleke, on a record-breaking 2022 for the inspirational athlete. In keeping with that reflective mood, former Sligo star Neil Ewing gives us his top five Gaelic football moments of the year. Lenser coach Stuart Lancaster was on media duty today ahead of the Fest of Interpros. All that plus today's latest sports news. That is this evening's Game On. As always, if you want to get in touch, well, please do so. Drop us a text on 51552 or tweet us at Game On. 2FM Game on on 2FM Yes, hello there, good evening, it's great to uh, have your uh, attention and your company on this Tuesday evening I'm in the company of Paul Corey, Paul it has been a while, how are you? I'm great Shane, I, I clocked the old, all of, out of office on oh. before setting for, for RTE today Happy So days. always a good feeling Absolutely, out of office and into an office Another office, you're, yeah. you're, you're home from home, brilliant uh, Paul, we're going to be chatting increased League of Ireland attendances We're going to be looking back on the World Cup ce- Or continuing the World Cup celebrations with Argentina um, All that, and given it's Christmas week And it doesn't all have to be hard news I have a light-hearted topic that you get your thinking cap on now Because I'm going to come back to you a bit later About uh, what or who are the most famous fans of Premier League teams so just you know there's a bit different. in that yeah it's something different I know you're a big Chelsea fan so there's I, I know the list of Chelsea fans you share with some esteemed companies so yeah very much looking forward to that Paul uh, we will be chatting in due course but first Neil Ewing is on the line Neil it's also been a while how are you sir Hi Shane, how are things? How are you? I'm Good very, to chat. Yeah, very well, very well. It's five days away from Christmas and as uh, Paul Curry, uh, I'm sharing in his festive ex- excitement, I suppose. Um, listen, we are coming to the end of the year, Neil, so I suppose it's perfect time to reflect on a year and what a year has been. Uh, we're going to be chatting uh, hurling with Shane McGrath uh, tomorrow evening, but Neil, we've given you the arduous task of giving us your top five Gaelic football moments uh, of the year. So, starting with number five, Neil, what is it and why? Uh, yeah, a bit disappointing about the limit of five. You might give me a little bit of leeway at the end, um, hopefully, Shane. There's a few other things I think uh, worth a mention. Um, but starting at number five, I think, um, yeah, for this year, I think we need to remember back to uh, where we were probably this week last year, where we had restrictions, you know. Um, we had all looked forward to a bit of uh, an inverted commas normal Christmas and crowd restrictions to come back in. So, you know, getting back to full capacity at grounds across the country, you know, I think was a huge plus uh, for, for the GA, but, uh, you know, for everybody across the country and all sports this year, you know, really adds to the atmosphere. Brilliant for the players, brilliant for supporters and their families and even families going to games. And, you know, I think a, a huge, a huge positive for, for sport right across Ireland uh, throughout 2022. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's mad to think that like it, it's not that long ago when you know we were all masked up and not being able to attend football matches, be it Gaelic football, hurling, camogie, League of Ireland, rugby. You know everything across the board. It's it, you know it is it's great to, to have fans back there. And I suppose time to give it a little plug as well because Damien Lawler, a friend of the show, he has a lovely book after the storm, which kind of details all that um, about the. Uh, the COVID restrictions and then everything post-COVID in, in the world of the GEA. But, so that's number five. Uh, Neil, moving on to number four. 
Yeah, number four. Um, I guess we were all privileged to see uh, David Clifford and Shane Walsh in action in that All Ireland final. And throughout the years, you know, some of the moments of skill, you know, the two lads, uh, loads of other players produced, but particularly two guys that day. But I think one of the highlights uh, for me this year was the stories of uh, crowds attending, uh, you know, junior club games in Kerry to watch David Clifford in action for his club. And not only that, but crowds attending. Um, club training sessions just to see David Clifford obviously his, his brother Paddy involved as well um, but you know uh, it's just uh, yeah you know it, it's very Royal Rover stuff to, to hear of families and and young kids and, and their parents travelling from right across Ireland uh, to attend training sessions and junior club games you know re- really brilliant stuff and I guess uh, probably the, the essence of the GAA and uh, you know a mark of just the talent that David Clifford has that the people are willing to, to make to make those efforts just to see him in action Absolutely, it's well heralded that the, the club is the heartbeat of the GA and before county comes club. So it is great to see, yeah, as you mentioned, I think sold out fossil matches and so on. And, you know, we talk about the World Cup and Lionel Messi and everything and, you know, not to make similarities, but like to have these generational generational talents, um, it is great to see David Clifford and it's, I suppose, frightening for opponents because he is only getting going and Paddy as well. Uh, Sean O'Shea and I suppose the list, list is endless in the kingdom. So yeah, there'll be a... Uh, Raring to go for the new season as well. So that's number four, rightly so. Uh, number three, Neil. Okay, you'll indulge me on this one, Shane. Uh, I think <laughs> everybody in the west of Ireland uh, will agree with me. Definitely everybody in Sligo will agree with me. Uh, Sligo under-20s winning our first ever county title at that level. Uh, you know, a really special achievement. Uh, you know, for, for any county to make a breakthrough uh, and win their first title at any level is brilliant. But um, yeah, as a Sligo man, uh, that has to be one, one of my highlights of the year. And uh, like a lot of other stories we've seen across the country this year, you know, there, there is hope for the underdog. You know, we've seen it with Dunloy on Sunday and uh, we all love that underdog story so definitely a personal highlight but um, yeah I I think one that that everybody across the country can relate to as well Absolutely I'll indulge you I'm just surprised it was not number one I just that was a foregone conclusion in my head to be honest I was like (laughs) Well, it's, 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 it's number one for me, but yeah, I, thought, uh, I had to uh, pretend I was somewhat impartial. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know your top two now, but I don't want to be trumping with it. Uh, I hope I'm not jumping the gun. But you mentioned kind of those out west. Uh, Lee Keegan, I think, springs to mind for myself as well. Uh, Westport claiming their first ever senior county title um, over Ballinas Stevenites as well this year, and I think. Uh, didn't yeah, League One say it was one of his greatest achievements, if if not the greatest. You know, and that again, I suppose, emphasises the point you're making about the club. Uh, yeah, definitely. There's that importance of the club, and I think yeah, everybody. Um, there's there's a romanticism around um, historic breakthroughs as well, and breaking those barriers. So yeah, it, it had a little bit of everything. That story um, for for myself. Hmm. Absolutely, and that's like I know under twenty. So like well, give it maybe two years time when I'm we're, we're reflecting on the top five moments that's going to be a Sligo for the Sam Maguire then is it is that like that's uh, the, well, let's, give, let's give it 12 months and see where we're at <laughs> well, we've had a few minor wins as well so uh, yeah it, it, it's all going the right direction uh, lots of positivity there I hope absolutely make hay while the sun shines um, okay top two so number two Neil uh, yeah, maybe a, a slightly uh, left-field one for some, but it's actually the All Ireland Ladies uh, quarter-final, and it was just a moment that took my breath away uh, at the time. And you know, t- to be honest, it was a game I had on, and I was probably a little distracted watching it. But you know, as, as the final minutes uh, 
closed down. It, it was a game that pulled you in, and Emma Duggan kicked the winner for uh, Mead. Uh, obviously, Mead went on to win the All Ireland, but they wouldn't have uh, they wouldn't have even been in All Ireland semi final only for this winner. And it was just a spectacular point. You know, she won a ball out on near the right hand touchline and took out her opponents and uh, kicked the kicked the shot that you thought mm, I'm not sure if that shot was on it bounced off the crossbar probably straight up in the air maybe 15 metres and just landed down on the roof of the net I think maybe 13-14 seconds left in the game and uh, it just resonated with me uh, as a uh, you know, just a, a really important moment. Obviously, with them going on to win the All Ireland, but but just the drama of it was was, uh, was very very uh, very enjoyable. And you have to you have to feel sorry for a Galway team who, you know, probably weren't talked about for for the rest of the year after that, but they were that close to, to beating the All Ireland champions. Absolutely, and no, I remember that game. I think I was reporting on that one. It's just it's amazing and that run that Mead have gone on and and the players and some of the the stars that of course have have gone down under, um, as a result, I suppose, of their their strong performances as well. So that leads us on. So we have fans being back. Uh, number five, Ever Cahar, um, the love of junior football, the Cliffords and everything else that goes with it, and creating that real buzz. Um, number three, Sligo under under twenty, amazing uh, championship. Two. Um, Emma's point and Mead um, going on and, and playing so well and those small margins, I suppose, if for want of a, a better cliche, but that's exactly what they are and pushing forward. So that all leaves us with number one, Neil Ewing. What is your top Gaelic football moment of 2022? Yeah, I suppose it, it's an, an incredible piece of skill and uh, I think, you know, if, if everybody in, in 10, 15, 20 years' time maybe thinks back on 2022, a, a defining moment of the year, I think it's going to be um, some of those uh, still photographs of Shawnee O'Shea as that free sale over the bar against Dublin. You know, Dublin Curry, just even the colour of it, the blue, the navy, green and gold, you know, the crowds, the full crow park. It was, you know, a beautiful sunny day, just an amazing backdrop. The drama of, of the, the, the whole game, you know, the narrative of the established, I suppose, the untouchable Dublin team and, you know, this Curry team that had been coming for, for a number of years and, you know, everything that was resting on that one kick, I guess it's something that, you know, you really couldn't have scripted and, you know, um, we'd love to see new teams involved. You know, in all Ireland semi-finals and Ireland finals. But um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was just an iconic moment, probably uh, in GA history. And you know how well it was captured by by some of the sports photographers on duty that day. You know, the drama, some of the faces in the crowd, uh, and you can only imagine, um, you know, what it was like uh, on the terraces for the players, but also for the players involved, and also in living rooms right across the country. So I I, I just think that. In 20 years' time, if we think back on 2022, uh, that that will be one moment that that sticks in a lot of memories. Absolutely iconic in that um, season of Sundays book by Sportswell. Always a good stock and filler as well. I suppose that springs to mind because those um, you know images that are captured are just it's magic. It's magic. Uh, Neil, we're under a bit of time pressure. Before you go, a few honourable yeah. mentions. A few honourable. Yeah, mentions. just a few honourable mentions, if you will. Give me. I think the scenes uh, after Westmead won the Talbot Cup. Uh, obviously, we, we had Kieran Martin uh, with, with the father of the deceased friend of his in the stands afterwards, and then the scenes back in Mullingar that evening. You know, it was. Uh, uh, a great endorsement for the Talbot Cup of what it can become. Um, I think we also had, you know, the good news on Casement Park. I think, you know, a fine ground, you know, lucky enough to play there a few times and great to see that it's finally going to move forward with, with the development there. 
and we had just I think maybe two or three weeks ago Sean O'Leary from Kerry was very unfortunate to be involved in a car crash home from a Kerry game in 2021 ended up in a wheelchair he made his return to senior football for UL you know I thought it was great to see that uh, we had the breakthrough you know Limerick uh, going from uh, Division 3 up to Division well Division 4 over the last number of years up mm. to Division 2 where they'll be uh, playing against uh, uh, Dublin next year you know there's a great story there great work from Billy Lee and you know with Christmas in mind maybe to finish with the, the fairy tale of New York so you know we had the New York team uh, finally getting back across Ireland to play a competitive game and you know I think there's there's a few great stories in that there's the great story of you know Irish immigration that you know a lot of the lads over there now are legal and are able to come home and pop back across without issues which may not have been the case you know a number of years ago so you know it shows a, a lot of progress on that front but also the progress New York have made on, on uh, homegrown players and developing their own players. So, yeah, uh, a real positive story there around New York. And let's hope the game can, can grow. Um, they can keep growing their own players over there and grow the game that way outside of Ireland. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Neil Ewing, thank you very, very much for taking the call. Have a very happy Christmas and it's been great chatting over the year and hopefully we'll be chatting uh, in 2023. A um, few texts in here just on some other moments. The penalty shootout in Crow Park for the first time ever. Eden Rafferty, our mad goalkeeper, uh, becoming the first goalkeeper to score two points from play uh, in this new hybrid goalkeeper role that is uh, creeping in or has already crept into the GAA. Um, Derry, Derry and Ulster, was that? not a standout moment says one texter um, yeah Chrissy McCaig and, and, and the lads unbelievable performances there listen it is very difficult to narrow it down to uh, top five moments it's been a brilliant year for Gaelic football um, as I mentioned we're going to be doing the same with Shane McGrath tomorrow evening on Hurling it's been a great year for Gaelic football it's been a great year for Irish sport uh, we'll hear from uh, a few of the big names in a few moments time Stuart Lancaster we're going to hear from first after the break so stay with us here on Game On 2FM Game On Rugby now the dust has only settled on the Champions Cup weekend but already attention has turned to the Christmas and New Year interposed in the URC. The meeting of Munster and Leinster at Thoman Park on St Stephen's Day is by now a firm Christmas tradition for many. Leinster senior coach Stuart Lancaster was on media duty today. Shortly we'll hear his thoughts on the game and the appointment of Steve Bortwick as the new England head coach. But first he's been chatting to Michael Corcoran about the challenge of getting the balance of team selection right particularly at this time of year considering the amount of international and club rugby the players are required to navigate Selection's important because as you say we want to give people the right rest but also the right opportunity as well um, you know the national players had a week after the November internationals finished um, so you know everyone's hungry and wanting to play to be honest which is great um, uh, but also there's been those lads who've sat patiently in the, waiting in the wings uh, during the European window, do you know what I mean, who want game time as well. So there's nothing better than two Interpros, you know, obviously Munster away and then Connor at home. Um, then we've got Ospreys and obviously we're back into Europe as well. So great window to, to train well together, but also lead into, into these big games. This St. Stephen's Day game, it's like no other really. Um, so we can prepare as best we, we, we like, but uh, we've got to, you know, deliver on the day and going down to Toman Park... Since Stephen's Day, something to kick off or close to it, you know, it'll be um, a great occasion. It'll put proper pressure on us, uh, and um, I'm sure they'll be ready for us. It, it's almost it feels as if they should design the trophy, especially for these matches, Leinster Munster games. I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> unique rivalry, isn't it? It is very unique. It's very unique. Um, obviously, in England, you get you like Leicester, Northampton, you know, Harlequins, uh, Saracens is quite similar. Bath, Bristol, so you do get them in England as well. 
Um, but no, over here it is, it is very unique. And, uh, um, you know, the boys are looking forward to it already. You know, it uh, sort of spoils everyone's Christmas in a certain way because uh, you've, got your, you know, you've got your Christmas dinner to have, but then you know you've got a big game coming around the corner. Um, but yeah, these two games, Connacht as well on New Year's Day, you know, were amazing because it's at home. Hopefully, you know, close to sellout, get everyone down there and they're going really well in Europe as well. So Munster and Connacht are on the up um, and, you know, we, we need to be at our best. I know it's not a time for our nostalgia, but this is your last Ireland and uh, your last Christmas in Ireland. Um, we're delighted that you've chosen to be here for such a, a period of time. You, will you miss the place? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, fortunately, there's a flight back on St Stephen's, though. So I actually spent Christmas Day in Leeds. So I'm flying back. We're training on uh, Friday. Then it's like a three o'clock flight. Although there's rumours of um, like air traffic controller strikes or security guard strikes or something. So I'm going to go home, uh, have Christmas Eve at home, Christmas Day at home, and then there's a 7.30 flight, St. Stephen's Day morning. So hopefully I'll be there, uh, fingers, fingers crossed. But no, but it's been amazing, really. And uh, every day um, I spend here is another day I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, I'm going to miss this place. But, uh, but equally, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting challenge, you know, to, to go to France in six months' time. But it, it's, it's plenty of things to happen before then. And just a final question, if you don't mind, it's just about a player, a, a person who was a player you knew an awful lot about. He's now a coach. He used to be Leicester Tigers coach. Is now the England coach, Steve Borthwick. And, and when, when you heard that news, you know, I, I know he's an outstanding individual and is, is a strong leader on and off the pitch when he was playing and indeed when he was coaching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm delighted, obviously, it's a, an English coach. I was very lucky that, you know, I uh, got the opportunity to, to coach England as, a, as an English coach, I was 41, Steve's 43. Um, so in my own slightly different circumstances, obviously interim post-World Cup, and he's taken the job now pre-World Cup. Um, but um, no, he's a very, very uh, astute coach. He's been involved in the environment. I think it's a huge advantage. Um, certainly for me, when I got the job in um, 2012, Six Nations, even though I wasn't actually part of the England coaching team, I'd been to the World Cup in 2011. I'd been in and around Martin Johnson's squad, so I understood the dynamics of how things were working. I think Steve's experience with England, you know, prior to um, to leaving, um, will stand him in great stead. Um, and I'll be very confident that he'll make a, a strong impression. Obviously, he's got good coaches with him. He knows Richard Cockrell well. Kevin Sinfield's obviously a great addition and very well. So yeah, no, be exciting. It's um, it's going to be competitive Six Nations again, isn't it? You know, with Ireland, France, Italy have improved. Scotland, great win against Argentina at the last, the last game in uh, November. And obviously England and Wales with two new coaches, albeit Warren Gatland's a returning one. Game on. Football. So lots of rugby to look forward to, lots of football to look forward to. And the man on the line now, Billy Denny, is going to be looking forward to the new League of Ireland season because, Billy, you are going to be guiding Kerry FC into their maiden League of Ireland first division season as manager. Firstly, congratulations. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to it. What's the uh, overriding emotion now ahead of the new season? Yeah, I think, first of all, hello, lads. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I think it's another landmark moment in the short history of the club. Obviously, to be the first manager is a very proud moment for me and my family, and it's probably something I had to consider for a couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, it probably would have been something I might have regretted if I didn't take the challenge. So, very excited now and looking to, you know, kind of implement some of the structures that we have put in place for the last couple of years and, and hopefully build on that now with the senior team as well. Absolutely. Like, you were originally announced as director of football for the club, but now you are the first team manager. So, so why the change and, and how did that come about and what's the, the structure now with the club going forward? 
Yeah, I suppose obviously during the licensing process and obviously putting plans in place for the club, there was lots of other areas that were more a priority than the first team manager role at the time. You know, so much as organising a club structure from obviously the ground up, which is what we're looking to do. Um, that was obviously priority in terms of the sporting director role was to appoint an academy director, appoint the managers for the underage teams, um, having all those processes really feeding into the senior team and the senior setup over time. But obviously now came the the time for really for a first team manager to be announced, although we had been preparing a first team group and we've been preparing the first team environment for the last couple of weeks really. Um so it was really the Americans were on my on my case for the last couple of weeks to um you know, to take the role really since the start of this process they wanted me to do it. But again there was other areas of the club that were more of a priority at the time. But now look they they really kind of asked me to take the challenge and again something after consideration for myself, um I, I do feel it would have been something if I, I would have regretted if I didn't take the challenge. I know the football club is is you know it's it's led by a consortium uh, with yourself, Steve Conway, Brian Ainscough, and and you know and, and it comprises of the Kerry District League as well. So there, there seems to be support locally. What's been the biggest challenge for getting a, a brand new club for for what it is? I know Kerry have competed in underage levels from back in the early noughties and actually Dynamos were there thereabouts, and there was always rumours that they might be flirting with, with joining the League of Ireland properly, etc. But you know. For, this is pretty much a brand new club how difficult has it been and what's been the biggest challenge for you yeah I think there has been a small bit of transition over in relation to the underage structures already so over the last number of years the Kerry District League would have operated the underage teams so it was just really Kerry FC coming in and having those underage structures with under the one umbrella along with adding the senior team obviously but in relation to setting up the club obviously the licensing process was very rigorous in terms of the criteria that was involved and the I suppose the structure that you have to have in place within the club prior to even be accepted into the league so that gave us a good insight into what we needed to do into what we needed to improve on um, but I think everybody worked really hard behind the scenes to bring it to this stage so now thankfully the platform is there and it's a very very exciting time for all the players involved to now have something to aspire to um, on the doorstep here in Kerry Was it difficult in any way getting everyone to sing off the same hymn sheet within Kerry soccer and I mean that in terms of I know in Dublin there are some schoolboy clubs that yes they have links with League of Ireland clubs now but traditionally they've kind of gone about their own thing and they haven't always been as accommodating to the League of Ireland setup. in Kerry has there, was there any pushback or any negativity in terms of what oh, this might disrupt what we're doing be it underage or even at senior level within Kerry soccer Yeah I, I think obviously over the last number of years where the academy structures were in place already it kind of um, teased out a lot of those teething problems when the League of Ireland structures were originally implemented by the FAI so a lot of those kind of relationships have built over time um, and the support of the clubs has been fantastic and I think you know everybody can see the benefit that they can have a player by coming into the environment you know in terms of the avenues that now opens up for them with Kerry FC in relation to the scholarships that we have to the university um, along with other avenues to the US and obviously now having the first team that they can aspire to as well so again we just want to be kind of a continuation of all the great work that's been done at grassroots level you know it's it's where the game is born really with the volunteers and the people who turn up you know opening gates and lining pitches and putting up nets you know and obviously now the League of Ireland structures is just having that platform for elite players to have something to aspire to and it's something that has never been here in Kerry it's been a lifetime coming to be honest but you know better late than ever it's here now What's the player pool like down there, Billy? Will you will you have to recruit from within Kerry? Will it be the underage structures? Will you will you look to Cork, to Limerick, to Dublin? 
Yeah, so again, obviously, when you're going down a model like this, you probably have two options in relation to what way you want to go about the senior team. You obviously try to recruit heavily. You need a big budget. You need to probably sacrifice other areas of the club. Or else you can go down the other model where you try to become self-sufficient. You try to build from the ground. You put resources into the academy and hopefully in time they will be the ones to carry through and obviously play in the first team. Or else you can obviously you know go further field to the UK or further. So that is the model that we've chosen. So we do understand that will make things more difficult. But I think since the announcement of the first team going ahead, there's been a great outreach from a lot of players from Kerry and the wider region. And we've been training for the last number of weeks and there's been a lot of players that have come in and we've identified a few, we've obviously signed a few and, and that process is ongoing now. But, you know, there's great appetite for a lot of players to represent Kerry, which, um, you know, for me is, isn't a surprise, but it, it, it's exciting when you see see them training. But again, look, a match night is totally different in, in the first division. Senior football is different. There will be a level of inexperience there, but, you know, the players will get the chance and the opportunity to develop and progress and, and hopefully as time goes by, they'll become very competitive. Looking, I suppose, at the, at the bigger picture, I know recruitment and you need players playing and it's a great little setup down there and I, I admit I haven't been down to Mount Hawk Park, you know, just judging by the pictures and I know there's great work that's going into it and um, you're getting ready for the new season, big monster derby against Cove, but like bigger picture, how confident are you that that football can be sustainable in Kerry and that Kerry FC can, can last, you know, in the League of Ireland? Because I'm a massive advocate for it the geographical spread of League of Ireland teams I think it's an absolute it's heartbreaking that there's no longer Monaghan United there's no longer a Kilkenny City uh, Kildare Town when, when they were playing uh, I'm sure I'm missing a, a few others but you know you know, being a League of Ireland fan and, and I loved going to those grounds and you, that's how you're going to grow the game now so so what structures are being put in place that this this venture can be sustainable and can, can last you know for years to come yeah, I think it probably goes back to what I just mentioned earlier in terms of the model of the club. You know, I think a lot of clubs probably there is a heavy focus on the first team. You know, a lot of clubs are probably based on a result on a Friday night. But, you know, from the start, when, when the guys from the clubs were getting involved in this, I, I think I've kind of made it really clear that, you know, the club has to have more substance than just a result on a Friday night. You know, because there's so many variables involved in a game. Referees' decisions, injuries many other aspects to performance that can cost the results but you know you have to have a solid club built from the ground up and that ultimately is your academy and the resources and the quality that you put into that and filter the players through and I think that is really the benefit of having a long term view of a club and um, that's certainly what we have we do realise it will be slow and it will be difficult at times but you know that's the challenge that's there for everybody and I think it helps us become self-sustainable as well in the, in the medium to long term Will you be hands-on on the training pitch, Billy, or, or will you delegate that to somebody else? Yeah, I, I kind of would be anyway. You know, I I, um, I enjoy training. I always did as a player. I know a lot of lads I played with didn't really like training, but um, I enjoy training very much. I love being out on the pitch. I love preparing the sessions. I love analysing them afterwards and implementing new things for the following session. So, yeah, I'd be a very hands-on coach anyway over the last five, six years down here. I've had a lot of players come through who are in this kind of pool now within the first-team group, but the coaching staff that are with me have come up all the same so there's been a group of us James Shukru Conor McCarthy Deloche um, Chris Hagerty Philomena Bates we've all been together five, six years now at this so it's, it, it is exciting to have a group of people kind of self-promoted through the club as well right through from the 17s 19s and now into the first team so that's something as a club we'll be looking at as well as, as coaches progression as long as, as much as players progression 
you've worked under some big names both within the League of Ireland and over in England as well. Who in particular will you take inspiration from in terms of how you go about your, your management style? Yeah, I have. I've been very fortunate um, in terms of the managers that I've played under and, and the coaches as well that I've worked under. But, you know, I've never kind of been a person that looks to copy and paste anything. You know, I think everyone is their own individual. Everyone has their own beliefs. Everyone has, I suppose, their own way of... Um, working and operating and, and I'm no different do you know I think I'll kind of carry on a lot of the stuff that I've built on over the last five or six years and obviously look to implement a little bit more in terms of um, you're working with senior players now and, and you know little things like that but overall um, not too much change will, from me it'll be continuous learning of course um, from everything but, but overall I'll, I'll be looking to kind of do things the way that I always have and look to improve every week Great stuff. Well, listen, Billy Dennehy, as I said, I'm always pushing for the ge- geographical spread in the League of Ireland, so I really hope it uh, goes well. Just before I do let you go, uh, I do have to uh, retell a story here. Paul Curry has his head in his hands. Now, I know yourself and Paul Curry have never been teammates, but you have shared a football pitch, and Paul was telling me, I'm not sure if you remember this now, Billy, but Paul, you set Billy up for a goal even though he was playing against you. Yeah, I was just looking, 124 appearances for Shamrock Rovers, 19 goals. <laughs> I had a major part of playing one of them. I think I received the ball from a throw-in and uh, trying to switch the ball to my right foot ended up inadvertently crossing the ball into Billy Denny, who just finished the back post. Should have gone off celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> Together. No, thanks, Paul. I needed, I needed all the help I could get, really, for all the goals, so I, I appreciated that one. <laughs> well, listen, Billy, you've a couple of League of Ireland titles to your names, Tanta Cup, League Cup, you've played in Europa League. So, yeah, listen, we hope that the managerial uh, career goes well with Kerry FC, and I, I look forward to getting down to Mount Hawk, Mount Hawk Park, I should say, uh, at some stage. Kerry FC's first match um, against, or first game in the League of Ireland First Division is against Cove Ramblers on February 17th. So, Billy Denny, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Paul, um, sticking with the League of Ireland chat, I suppose, and we're, you know, it's all positive with Kerry. FC entering into the league and hopefully it goes well and hopefully it is sustainable and I think that's the most important thing really um, but there is some good news I suppose um, stemming from a League of Ireland press release today and we talk about sustainability and, and the improvement of the League of Ireland and uh, they have done a case study where attendances in the League of Ireland men's Premier Division have increased by nearly a third since the last full season with crowds prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. An additional 110,660 fans attended Men's League of Ireland top flight fixtures in 2022 compared to 2019, which is an increase in 29%. Crowds in the Men's First Division have also risen by 135% compared to 2019 with an extra 102,205 match goers. Shelburne and Drogheda United have seen uh, the biggest increases. Shelburne Here we go. Listen, I, I deal in facts Paul Curry I just deal in facts Shelburne with 172% Drogheda United with 169% uh, increase while average crowds at St. Pat's almost doubled their 2019 figures increasing by 81% uh, Rovers unsurprisingly have enjoyed a 59% rise in average attendances uh, from 3,384 in 2019 to 5,379 this year. Uh, of course, Tallis Stadium also played, <coughs> excuse me, hosted the largest league attendance of the season with 7,726 people watching hoops lift the league title against Derry City. You have a team like Cork City who have uh, just been promoted, so average attendances rise by 40% from just over 2,500 to just over 3,500 during their 2022 title winning season in the first division and 
in the women's Premier Division as well, it, that continues to grow its fan base with an average attendance of 885 at league games uh, last year, while this year's women's FEI Cup final between Shells and Athlone Town at Tallis Stadium had a record attendance of 5,073. So, all said and done, it's just another positive uh, bit of news, but the key now is retaining these fans and not just saying this is great, but trying to increase it and improve it even more. I think it was the biggest positive uh, off off the back of the, the last season within the League of Ireland we obviously had great stories Derry City winning the FAI Cup Shamrock Rovers and, and the three in a row and the European Adventure but bring it back down to the basics and the attendances are absolutely fundamental for the League of Ireland for its sustainability for its growth and for growing the game domestically and I was on uh, with Jackie Hurley and she asked me at the FAI Cup final it's exactly the answer I gave was the attendance is the most important but it probably doesn't come as a surprise Shane on the basis that post-COVID era I think there was a huge demand across all sports for, mm. for live entertainment and being at games and, and being back in, in a sporting environment to, to watch live sports so it probably doesn't come as a surprise but I think on the League of Ireland front with the clubs and particularly when you think about the, the competition in Dublin for, for fans and for fan base uh, a number of the clubs deserve huge credit because they're working off limited resource and they've managed to engage with, with the community they've managed to engage I guess with the um, League of Ireland underage teams that they have and they've managed to grow kind of their fan base organically there and, and they deserve huge credit for getting more numbers through the gate um, players will come and go you know the, the likes of the UK clubs will cherry pick our best talent I think for me the two areas that you have to focus on within the League of Ireland is the fan base retaining it and growing it and then supporting that with better facilities to actually encourage people to go to games. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those statistics that have come out, you can go all the way from from Sligo to Shamrock Rovers to, to Cork City have come up to Shelburne who had a fantastic year last year. It's positive, Shane. The, the product is better. If we can bring the, the facilities in line with the product. Is, is the product much better? I'm not sure it's it's much better but I think it's improving I think the the style has probably changed over the last couple of years with regards to just being a little easier on the eye uh, I think the co- that is probably in line with the coaching has improved and, and if you look at the people who are in charge of the teams I mean look at Derry look at uh, Dundalk look at Shelburne and look at St. Pat's like they've all got really encouraging young managers who'll be going into their second year with those teams and you would expect that their style of play and their kind of end product will be better and that will go in line with, with Shamrock Rovers who have obviously been setting the standards so I think it has and that is probably best reflected in our European results over the last couple of years in the sense of we've probably been a bit more competitive so I would I would say it has maybe not Fun, like massively but I think probably the fundamentals of what teams are trying to do is, has changed Yeah and it's it's not just the big teams I know I mentioned Shells and Drogheda and Pats have the, had the biggest increases 29% is the overall for the Premier Division 112% for the First Division which I think is great Yes it's an average of 1,193 supporters attending First Division games which you know in relative terms mightn't be huge numbers but that's a, a jump from 561 it's not just going to get from 561 to 5061 overnight and anyway so it's those kind of just steady jumps and steady gaps not all good news it, it does have to be said I was a bit surprised um, three clubs uh, dropped in numbers in a closer breakdown Dundalk were actually one of the clubs who showed an attendance drop in 2019 their average was 2,755 where last year was 2,689 so not much of a drop Athlone went from 382 to 307 Bray went from 773 to 482 which isn't ideal and Longford um, slightly dropped from 610 to 500 as well so 
I suppose it is the product and it's it's improving the facilities as well and and you know it and it's hopefully over over the coming years listen I'm not getting dragged into another debate but the Dublin City not to just focus on Dublin clubs but the Dublin City development plan has uh, a mention in it that there will be funding hopefully for an improved Tolka Park and improved Dalymount Park and improved Richmond Park as well we see Mount Hawk Park and improvements down in Kerry as well so across the board this is the most important thing this is how you attract families this is how you attract young fans is having the facilities there having a welcoming family environment and with the crowds that come that will have increased revenue and if you have increased revenue then you can have better operating clubs yeah take Shamrock Rovers as an example now I know they've been on on the end of investment from from different sort of sources but if if you take Tallis Stadium as as the benchmark now Tallis Stadium is not like a top end championship in the UK style stadium it's it's for well, what is going to be four very good stands, and if you look at the facilities that are around the stadium, the the entertainment that goes in towards uh, engaging with the younger fans, even down to the basic chain of, of like toilet facilities, like we yeah. really can't say that's consistent across all all the stadia with within the League of Ireland. So they have done it very well. We would love to see like I've heard plans with Gary Keller and St Pat's, obviously Daly Mount Park, Talca Park, and um, even all the way up to Finn Harps. If we could just raise it it would make such a difference because it, it, even the, the product of watching a game when the surrounding stands are of a certain level and a certain uh, criteria I guess it just makes the product even better on the pitch so it's it's going to be a long process it, it's going to require hefty investment but it seems like we've been talking about this for 10-15 years even when I was playing in the league some of the stadiums haven't changed at all and it, it really does require some addressing because if we're to like we're already behind a number of leagues and we're not even talking about top leagues within Europe we're, we're behind kind of leagues that are on par with us with regards to facilities just look at the the pitches and the facilities that our Irish teams go to play when they go away to Europe and yeah. compare it to our own we are miles behind so um, yeah it would be great to see even a couple of them brought up to, to a better standard because I think it would really help yeah well, I was watching on Sky Sports the other, other day with a rerun of the Salford and Gary Neville etc cetera, etc cetera, and their little tidy little stadium and I was just looking at that and it's like oh that would be just a perfect little League of Ireland ground it would be, be perfect mm. but listen it's all good um, speaking of the product uh, we might be getting a League of Ireland player returning reports in the media today suggesting that Johnny Kenny formerly of Sligo Rovers who uh, signed a five year deal wasn't it with Celtic was on mm. loan uh, in the lower divisions uh, in Scotland might be returning to League of Ireland but not to Sligo Rovers no Shamrock Rovers is, is where he's touted to be going uh, it would make sense I guess given the ownership and the connection with Dermot Desmond with, with Shamrock Rovers and Celtic and naturally enough that Rovers are going so strong in the mm. league and, and they're going to be I guess exposed to maybe high calibre games that, that any young player is going to want to be a part of I, I, I think it's to say a little bit sad is probably the wrong word but you know it's a bit unfortunate it hasn't seemed to work out for Johnny Kenny like he, he'd done so well at Sligo and there was major hopes from that he would go over and he would kind of take that step to the next level and for one reason or not it's not happened at Celtic and when he's gone alone to, to Queen's Park it's it, it's not really he's not really found that same form it's, yeah. it's obviously a, a difficult league and it's it's a different way of playing it's, I can imagine it's extremely physical in that division so maybe he just needs a fresh environment a fresh Stars and uh, within Shamrock Rovers, I mean, he couldn't ask for a better environment. He's going to be spoilt with with regards to the service that he will receive in, at the top end of the pitch. And for all Roy Gaffney's good play last year, like he was without doubt probably the the player of the year, and some of his performance were standout. He probably doesn't score the same level of goals that a Johnny Kenny might do. So it's a different sort of avenue. It's a different path to go for Shamrock Rovers. It's another option, and uh, for Stephen Bradley, it's about keeping things fresh and and kind of. 
gradually kind of bringing younger players from from the academy up but also freshening up with, with some young recruits and Johnny Kenny absolutely fits that criteria Absolutely and hopefully it does go well if he does return to the League of Ireland because he was a, a smashing talent as well and he's only young who knows You know, we, it's often been the case that you come back over and then you go back over to we, We've seen him many well. times before yeah. and, and he absolutely has quality to do it yeah, absolutely. A uh, story, uh, Paul O'Hare in the Irish Mirror. I just want to wrap up our League of Ireland chat with this. Um, O'Hare has a story. Bohemians eyeing up Pat Fenlon as director of football. Would that be a good move for, for Bose? They certainly need a director of football. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that's something that would be echoed by many fans down at Daily Mount Park, that they need somebody to just orchestrate things while, you know, Decky Devine picks the team and... and works with the first team I think it's it's needed that they kind of have somebody from a more strategic approach I wouldn't be surprised I think Pat has, has done a, a fantastic job up at Linfield and anywhere he's gone he's, he's tended to be successful and he may welcome a, a move back down to, to North Dublin and uh, it's not too far from, from where Pat lives so it'll be a, a much shorter commute than what he's facing at the moment and also the, the work that's been done off the pitch with Bowes has been incredible but now it requires a bit of tidying up on the pitch they've obviously lost a number of their younger players um, they've been successful bringing players through but they probably need somebody who's going to give them a bit of solidity on the pitch and, and uh, help Declan Devine in that role so if he is and has a strong working relationship with Declan Devine it could be something that could work quite well well, watch this space. It will be interesting to see how it goes. We're going to take a very short break. Paul Carr, you're sticking around. We're going to be chatting Carabao Cup, among other things, and hear from Rashida Adeleke in a few moments' time. Stick with us. Game on on 2FM. Now, as has been the uh, theme today, and I suppose this week, it is a time for reflection and appreciation of the events of the year. One shining light for Irish sport this year was athletics with Irish stars young and more mature, breaking records and meddling at many significant international meets. Long heralded as a star for the future was a coming of age year for Rashida Adeleke, who at 19 years of age finished in fifth place in the women's 400 metre final at the European Championships in Munich, breaking her own Irish record in the process. 2022 also saw her set a new Irish 60 metre indoor record on Saturday evening, she was named Young Sportsperson of the Year at the Orty Sports Awards and was in reflective mood when she spoke with our own Damien O'Mara. Phil, um, this year was my first year um, really putting myself on the map um, as a senior athlete. Um, although I'm still under 23, um, I was kind of disappointed after Worlds and Europeans not to medal. I was always, always chasing a medal. But so much more came out of this year than I expected, especially moving to a new event, which is the 400 metres. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for everyone who supported me, like all the um, Irish supporters, all my family, my friends, my coaches, everyone knows um, who they are. And I'm just really grateful for everything. Just a word on Munich. I remember watching you in the mix zone after the relay and I could see you were disgusted with yourselves that you hadn't done and I, I mean that as a compliment yeah, yeah. because you were obviously driven to succeed mm. and you obviously have a very strong inner belief mm. that you have the talent on the day to make a real impact in this sport no absolutely um a lot of people talk about pressure that other people put on, on them, but I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I really, really want to be successful. I work very hard, and when things don't go my way or as I expected, I've been very disappointed, so I'm very hard on myself. And although the relay and was a team sport, I um, wanted everyone to give their all, and it just wasn't for us on the day, but I know we're going to come back stronger, and we have a world next year and European still, so... We have more to come. But when we talk about that self-belief and that mm-hmm. self-drive, you obviously believe or have reason to believe that you've not even scraped the surface of what it is you're capable of. Yeah, so like um, all my life I've been told 
um, oh, you'd be great at a 400, a 400, a 400. And now I'm finally doing the 400 metres. And I didn't even train for it last year. And I and I broke the Irish record. And I made a, I came ninth in the world. And I came fifth in a European final. Um, that just opened my eyes to see what people are really talking about. And to see that I actually do have the capabilities to be a world-class 400 metre athlete. And even um, in different events, the 60 metres, the 100 metres, the 200 metres. I'm just very, very excited to see what I can do next year. I'm training very hard this um, winter. And I'm just very excited to make everyone proud. Just when we look at a year like this, even something like the world's the Europeans, mm-hmm. just the experience of being at a senior meeting like that, how much does that stand to you? Because, you know, you've done whatever you've done at underage level, mm-hmm. but there has to be a psychological thing when you're on the start line at a senior event to say, am I really able to make what is a fairly sizable step up? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I was racing against people who I'd look up to, like the likes of Shawnee Miller-Rebo. That was one of my, um, the, one of my idols um, growing up watching. And... It just definitely gives you the realisation that at the end of the day we're all athletes, we're all on an equal playing field and we all have the same opportunity as each other. So at the end of the day you might be um, a big fan of the person in the lane beside you but we all have the same goal so kind of focus on yourself and anything can happen. Mm. That that must take great psychological resilience to not get caught up in the moment like Mm. so many of us would. Oh no, absolutely. Um, You know, I might have a little fangirl moment in my head and be (laughs) like, oh my God, that's Shawnee. But like... I just have to remember that we're both here for the same purpose and we're both equal athletes and just have to go out there and be focused. America's treating you well. It's obviously standing to you. You're enjoying life over there, but you're making the most of the opportunity. What does 2023 have in store? What's? I don't expect you to give me all your ambitions for the year, <laughs> but another big year ahead. And the one constant from tonight is Paris is looming very, very quickly on the horizon. No, absolutely. Next year, I just want to progress even more. I started training for the 400 metres this winter, so hopefully I'll be able to build on some strength and really um, make a lot of progress in that event. I also want to do well and break my Irish records in all of my other events, 60 metres, 100 metres, 200 metres and the 400. And we have European under-23s and World Championships next year, which would be my main goals. Um, and definitely be looking for a medal. Game on football. That was Sheila Adeleke chatting to Damien O'Mara. She's so so well spoken for for such a young athlete. Um, Paul, we're going to finish up our show by chatting association football league cup action in England is back. United are in action tomorrow. City Liverpool on Thursday will be a big one. But this evening, uh, plenty of. Irish interest Yeah good bit Shane MK Dons are playing Leicester Dawson Devoy recently moved from Bohemian starts for MK Dons as does Conor Grant and Warren O'Hara another Expos product against Leicester City uh, off the top of my head Danny Mandreo starts for Lincoln against Southampton and the other one that we have is Joe Hodge young Joe Hodge who's, who's was very impressive when I saw him come on and make his debut at Stamford Bridge starts for Wolves against Gillingham so opportunities there for, for young Irish players to to make their mark the one I forgot was Mark Travers starts for Bournemouth against Newcastle so good Irish interest there tonight Shane Absolutely absolutely. Uh, in football news as well um, listen we ha- we can't go a full show without mentioning the World Cup I suppose so the celebrations are kicking off in Argentina in Buenos Aires at the moment the one question I know you're on Instagram you're a social media man now I was on with the two Johnnies earlier and this was news to them have you seen the picture of Lionel Messi with the with the trophy the, with the FIFA World Cup trophy in bed so it's the most liked picture on Instagram ever do you know what it overtook go on an egg <laughs> honestly just a I picture of an seen, egg I haven't this seen Messi's is, one yet oh have you not it's, oh. it's, it's him with the with the trophy basically Neil Warnock put up a good one I think it's Neil Warnock with some playoff trophy as well in bed it's like <laughs> just the position of it um, but in a more serious it's brilliant but listen this is this is why I'm not on Instagram um 
Manchester United have done a, a good bit of business. They've triggered one-year options to extend uh, the contracts of Marcus Rashford, Luke Shaw, Diogo Dalla, and Fred David De Gea has not part of that, but there are positive talks on. Uh, there are reports of positive talks of a, a potential new deal. Good business for for United Rashford, especially with that P- PSG interest. Yeah, I think so. It's it's I guess rare now that if, if a Premier League team has the option that they won't extend it purely on the basis that they don't want their players going as free transfers. But I think Rashford's shown enough in the World Cup. I also think Dallow was particularly. Um, good in the lead up to the World Cup for Manchester United and also in his performances for Portugal so there's obviously a couple of players there that fans were, were probably happy enough to let go probably mm. 12, 18 months ago but I think maybe starting to get a bit more out of them with Ten Hag and Ronaldo leaving the building will probably just you know give those players a bit yeah. more responsibility to, to step up and I mean, we've talked about it for a long time with some of those names, but it, it is time now that they, they made their mark. Dallo, he's he must be their most improved player, United. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's he's nailed down that right-back spot. They obviously signed Juan Basaka a couple of years ago for £50 million. I'm sure many United fans were thinking that he would be the one who would play week in, week, in, week out, but he's shown that he's you know very limited when he gets into the final third and his deliveries into the box and if you're a top team you're probably asking for that from from your fullbacks now if you think of Liverpool with Trent Chelsea with Reese James Kyle Walker at Man City they spend mm. the majority of their time in the final third so Dallo gives Manchester United that extra dimension I think he's improved defensively as well so yeah he's done well I'm not surprised to to see that they've tied up down Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho, which should say, remains in the cold at Manchester United. Is the other bit of news there as well. But I was shocked to hear that Luke Shaw is now the best paid left back in the world. I shouldn't be shocked, I suppose, mm. given the ridiculous wages. But I mean, is uh, that and he's is another one stealing a living too too harsh of a phrase to follow that way? Well, he, he was out of the team, wasn't he? Yeah. Earlier on in the year, Malasia seemed to to wrestle the position off him, and then he seemed to wrestle it back. His performances for England were good in the World Cup. I think he's he's always been solid in an English jersey. Whether or not he, he plays with a certain tension or nervousness with Manchester United, there seems to be a mistake in him and he doesn't seem to have that sort of confidence that he does when he when he wears an England jersey. So he's been there an awful long time. The longer a player is there, Shane, the more the contract tends to go up, just triggers in, in players' contracts. I've seen it, you know, the the loyalty bonuses that are, are built into these that some fans wouldn't get their head around oh, and the numbers that go into them. So yeah, scary. I'm trying to think of maybe another left back. Mendia at Real Madrid possibly yeah possibly it's ridiculous money anyway um, Sinead that is all we have time for Paul Curry thank you very much we're going to end on the Manchester United topic I suppose and there was the very sad news of a very famous Manchester United fan Terry Hall of the specials who passed away and I know we're a sports show but just the impact Terry's Hall had on the music industry on the political landscape in England and everything uh, that the specials represented and Terry Hall represented I know he's a massive Manchester United fan so I do want to uh, I suppose end the show with a tribute to, to Terry Hall and a quote that has struck me for many years of the bottom line is respect each other and love each other it's a bit idealistic but it's all that there is thank you for listening to Game On we'll be back tomorrow at 6pm as always here on 2FM but for now enjoy yourself it's later than you think Oh, uh-huh.